the, uh, here's the context. Uh, Jesus is crucified, and uh, on the third day, he rose again. He appeared to over 500 people over a 40-day period of time in and around Jerusalem and Galilee. And then he ascended into heaven. He ascended the throne, and he said to his disciples, these uh, ragtag bunch of fishermen and whatnot, he said, uh, stay here, and you'll receive power. Uh, the very power you need to do what I've called you to do. This is the thing about God. He never asks you to do anything he doesn't help you do. This is what I like about him because I basically have absolutely no business being up here. I can tell you that right now. Uh, But then eventually uh, they are without him and they have to go do what he told them to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit teaching them to obey what I commanded you. So they got a pretty huge job. Put it this way, they don't do your job. You're not sitting here today. You're at the master's or some other place. It doesn't sound too bad, does it? Uh, They don't do their job. We're not here, and we don't know them. So they're starting off doing their job. That's what they're doing. And the first point I want to make about it is they have an ally, For those of you who are not aware, this is the ninth in a series of messages on really what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer, and how do you get a firm foundation in your faith. So if you want to go back after today and listen to some of those online, listen every Sunday if you want to. Uh, But every one of those messages has ended in A-L-L-Y. It's a long story, but anyway, today's is ally. You have an ally. Uh, What is an ally? Well, there's a definition of ally right there. To combine or unite a resource or commodity with another for mutual benefit. How about the nation of Finland, huh? Joining NATO? Quick, too. They saw the need to have allies with hundreds of miles of border with Russia. Not a bad move on their part. But yet now we have an ally on the Russian border. We need allies. And to be honest with you, to live in this world... It's kind of a battle. I don't know if you watch the news. If you, it's kind of a struggle out there. It's kind of exhausting. Uh, it's nice to have an ally. It's exhausting when things come up just in everyday life, let alone the culture, marriage, home, business, whatever, health issues. It's a battle. We need an ally. Christ is our ally. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Christ is our ally. And I'm just going to give you the scripture. Here it is. This is the scenario. They're standing probably on the southern steps. Some of you have been on those steps with me. I've taught you actually on those steps right there in Jerusalem at the base of the temple. It says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed. I don't know why they're getting all out of whack. They're they're all mad and upset about these pretty normal guys that aren't all that educated and but they had been with Jesus. They, they're just kind of like, really, uh, do you have to do this right now? And do you have to keep mentioning the guy's name? If I'm not mistaken, about 50 plus days ago, they, we killed him or he was dead. And uh, do you have to keep talking about him? They don't quite understand it. It says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Huh. They were very threatened by that. Didn't like it at all. In fact, what these people really want is just basic peace and no trouble. That's all they really want. But they were greatly disturbed. But these people aren't hurting anybody. They're not deceiving anybody. 
They're not depriving anybody. They're not, they're not doing violent things in the streets as they do in our country. They're not lying about anything. They're not coercing anybody. Uh, nothing that they're doing has anything to do with racism or lies or deception or favoritism or bias or mockery. They're not putting anybody down. They're just basically standing there teaching and creating this pretty significant uprising. Oh yeah, they are helping a guy who's lame walk again. I guess that's a wholly terrible thing to do in the eyes of the religious leaders. So what did they do? They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, put them in a jail until the next day. Have you ever been in jail overnight? Raise your hand. I have. I have. It's, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to point it out, the business owner in the place that has been in jail. I'm not going to point that out. There's something that happens. I've been in jail for one night three times in the same phenomenon every time. You wake up, in my case with the hangover, and you, you go, okay, I'm glad that's over. I'm gonna get up and go now. And then you realize I can't go. I'm gonna, I can't leave. I'm helpless. I am totally at the beck and call of anybody else. I have no control over my own life. And that feeling is bad news, man. And that's what happened here. They put him in jail overnight. But many of you heard the message believed. Well, there's some consolation there, isn't there? So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 5,000 men, they had... Wives, they had girlfriends, they had kids. There's about 10,000 people who've come to believe. Now I'm starting to see why they're upset. You're talking about this guy that was dead 50 plus days ago. You're starting to teach people about him and his name. The lame are starting to walk. People are being healed. These fishermen are starting to see that the power of God is at work in them. It's looking pretty good for us at this point. Good start. They got off the starting block pretty good and away the church goes. That's a lot of people. Isaiah 53 and one says, who has believed our message? Here's the thing about Christ. Let me go ahead and bottom line it for you. If you don't know much about me and how I minister, I'm pretty much a bottom line guy and I'm pretty much candid as you can be. You either believe or you don't, there's no middle ground. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either against him or you're for him. That's it. Like, how many people believed that he actually hung on a cross and on the third day he rose again and he paid the penalty of our sin. How many believe? So if you're here today, you either believe or you don't. It's not like you're, oh, don't, don't tell me I'm moving towards believing. Okay, that's great. But you don't yet believe. It's one or the other, come on. It's not like they have this court up there when you go to heaven, it's like, what do you guys think? Did he believe, not believe? No, it's one or the other. Where you sit right now, you either believe that he is the son of God, he died on a cross and rose again, or you don't. One or the other. It's good to know the answer to that question because it's good to know how to respond as a result of the answer. If the answer is yes, I believe that I wanna grow closer. If the, if the answer is no, I don't believe, then you might wanna entertain the idea of maybe being possibly open to believing because the future doesn't look bright. It's one or the other. And the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of law met in Jerusalem. Now they're starting to have some kind of a religious council going on here. 
Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. This is the upper echelon of the uh, well-to-do religious people. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power, by what power, or what name did you do this? Look at that. They, 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 it's synonymous. Power and name go hand in hand. What power or name? By what power or name did you heal this lame man? That's what they're asking him. Now listen, notice, they're not denying that the guy was healed, that there was some kind of miraculous healing. They're not denying that at all. They actually can't, can't do anything but agree with it because the guy can basically walk, okay? It's not like they're arguing over whether or not this guy was healed. He was healed. That's a foregone conclusion. Now what they're asking is, hey, listen, let me get to the bottom of this thing here. Is this a power thing? Is this a name thing? Is there some sort of thing, magic thing you're doing that makes this happen? What is it? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. By the way, it's important that the, the people who are leading others actually know what they're doing. It's important. Like, you, to be a leader of other people, it's really important you know what you're doing. If you want to lead somebody in a spiritual context, it's even that much more important you know what you're doing. Do you have any idea the damage that is done to people by poor religious leadership? The toxicity, the falsehood, the absolute betrayal of the truth that caused so much problems in people who trusted, who will never trust again, is, is mind-boggling. I've had to clean up the messes more and more and more in life. You want to follow a spiritual leader who knows what they're doing. And the people who know what they're doing are the first to confess they don't know what they're doing. But they know that the book is right. Now, half the country, half the world will end up with the wrong book, an edited version, a personalized version, an omitted whatever. Those were leaders who had no idea what they were doing. As rulers and elders of the people, if you're called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. Wow, here's a statement. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The guy's long gone. He's not even around. They're using his name and his birth where, where he grew up and the power that is in that name exists to heal the man that nobody will deny is healed. Wow, whom you, by the way, crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. I used to use the name of Christ in the most foul ways, in the most foul context. I didn't have, and I understood this, looking back, I didn't have the respect for the name. I didn't have the reverence for the name that came later. But what I also didn't have is an awareness that by as powerful as the name was, by misusing it, in a relational sense, I did not realize I had no idea I was actually hurting him. I didn't know you could know him. 
I didn't know he could be in a relationship with him. In essence, I was worshiping a God that had yet to be resurrected. I didn't think he cared. I didn't think he was alive. I lived as though he wasn't. His name is a precious thing. Careful how you use it. Here's another thing. Names are real important in the Bible because they denote changes in people's lives throughout the Old Testament. Anyway, the man stands before you healed. Here's the thing, and I'm going to give you a fair warning today. And this sounds arrogant. It's not arrogance, it's confidence. Let me say it again. This is not an arrogant statement, a confident statement. There's a difference. What I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes, for some of you, might bend you. For others of you, it might break you. For some of you, it might alter you in some way, shape, or form. It may alter your perception of God. It may alter your understanding of God. It may alter, bend, if not break, your understanding of his perception of you. Now, how does that happen? That happens by sharing the word of God. Isaiah 55 and 11, so, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to be empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. If you're not aware, when you go to a church and you go to a service, you ought to leave different than when you showed up. There ought to have been something that pierced some aspect of your psyche, your heart, your soul, that is the word of God. The word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. The word of God shared here today is intended in some respects for some people to penetrate the marrow of your bones. If you need an example how deep God wants to embed truth in you. In others of you, it may slightly twist a way that you look at him or yourself or your spouse or your children. The fact of the matter is truth will be told and truth will set the captives free. And truth does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. That's different for all of you at different places and it's different for me as well. And I include myself in the process. God wants to bend, break, twist, alter something in you that brings, that brings you just one step closer to him and his love, his unconditional love. Fair warning. We don't change ourselves. If we do, it's not always long-lasting. You don't want to change yourself. For those of you who are fully aware, as I am, I have deficiencies, I have weaknesses, I have relational issues, I have social issues, I have this issue. I am aware, probably more than anyone, what my weaknesses are. If I'm going to go about my life trying to change myself, having already proved I got myself into this mess, I'm in trouble. I need to be transformed. I need God to transform me as you need God to transform you, or the way I do business, or the way I interact with people, the way that I love, the way that I do anything. How does he transform us? He transforms us by his 
presence. It bends us, it alters us. His word changes our reality. Now, it may not happen as fast as some want us to, and you may not think that every church service you ever went to was necessary, but you probably realize that most of the meals that you had in your life were sort of necessary to get you to where you are now. You would have basically starved to death. And in a spiritual sense, don't allow yourself to starve to death. You need to be fed spiritually because you're gonna get to the point where you can no longer fix yourself. And that gets and leads to frustration. Frustration in your own heart and frustration with the people you're in relationship with who want you to grow. And herein lies the need for the transformational work of the Spirit of God in a relationship with Christ. Notice that this guy that was lame, that was healed, some translations call him an invalid. Invalid. Put it this way. You might be here this morning and you feel you're not a physical invalid, but you feel invalid. You just feel invalid. I don't know enough. I haven't learned enough. I'm not knowledgeable enough. I'm not, that's just not the way I am. I don't go to church. I don't do this. I don't do that. Fine. Fine. But you're not invalid. You're valid to Christ. You're valid enough to die on a cross for. You're valid enough to pursue on a daily basis. You're valid enough for him to minister to you and want a relationship with you. No, you're valid. You just may not feel valid. He then says that you are the cornerstone or the capstone that the builders rejected. If you want to live a full life, a balanced life, a well-apportioned life, a successful, prosperous life, the best way I know how to do that is to understand what a cornerstone is. A cornerstone is the first stone you put in when you build a house or a room. And it's in the corner and it's a 90 degree thing and everything else that gets built in that room or that house lines up with that cornerstone. It lines up exactly at a 90 degree angle. Everything lines up with the cornerstone. Well, the chief cornerstone, the Bible says, is Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, I got a business. I I make investments. I have a family. I have a marriage. I have this, I have that. How much of my life actually lines up with the cornerstone itself? That's the beginning. The beginning of the transformation. And that's why you see these guys and their ministry working. Because they're lining up with the chief cornerstone. Then they say this, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name. There it is again. Under heaven given to mankind by which we will be saved. When he saw the courage of Peter and John, he realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love the fact, in fact, if you're going to write the Bible on your own, you would have made these guys a lot smarter than they are. Really. You would have sent these guys some high-powered Ivy League seminary, and they come out of there, and now they're cranking out people. Converts. No. No, this is the last way you would have done it. Get an impetuous, impulsive Peter. Tell him you want him to dedicate the rest of his life, though he's married, to follow you around and be a disciple maker.
Wow. They didn't have the learnedness of the classroom. They had real life understanding. They at first saw themselves as invalid and then became valid. Then he says this, but since they could see no man had been, the, the man had been healed, that was where, there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and confirm together. Let me say this to you. If, 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 if you always have something to say, if I always have something to say on any subject, you ever met one of these people, the one-uppers? Doesn't matter what you say, they're gonna one-up you. It could be a, a nuclear uh, fission. Okay, I'm gonna one-up you on that. I, I, I got something on that. I got something on that. I'm gonna talk to you about that. I'm gonna one-up you on that. And hopefully I'm the last person to say anything so I look like I'm the most brilliant. And I'm not. This happens all the time. If you're a one-upper, repent. <laughs> Nobody likes you if you're a one-upper. Where words are many, sin is not absent. If we're having to fake something, impress people, you see, it, got, it has to get to the point where it comes with you and God, it has to come where you really don't have much to say on the subject anymore. You don't have to. You don't have to defend them, you don't have to explain them, you don't have to explain to other people, you don't have to carry on about what you know, what you don't know, what he did in your life, what he didn't do in your life. At some point in time, you don't have to say a whole lot of anything. Your life ought to pretty much speak for itself, right? That's your witness. Well, that's what happened to these guys. Well, there's nothing really they could say. Finally, we got to the point where somebody shuts up. There's far too much talking in this world about God and who is he, is he not, and he's your God, he's my God, you do what you want to do, I do what I want to do. There's no absolutes, there's plenty of absolutes, there's all this stuff. Hey, why don't anybody just shut up? And why don't you pursue God and eventually you're not gonna have a whole lot to say about it. Really, just not a whole lot to say. I don't need to be convinced that God is real and rose from the dead. I don't, I don't need to be patronized or argued with or debated. I don't, he doesn't need me to defend him, though I will. These guys had nothing to say. And then he said, what are you gonna do with these men? They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer in his name. Here we are, back to his name again. My goodness gracious, it's about the name, the name, the name, the name. They keep bringing up a name of someone who's supposed to be dead. Well, they don't want this thing spreading. So they give him a stern warning. Ooh, a stern warning. Oh, a stern warning. Oh, I had no idea you were gonna give me a stern warning. Oh, that's a different story altogether. Now let me think about it. Am I really gonna keep preaching and healing lame people in light of this radical reality of an impending stern warning? Are, are, are you kidding me? Are these guys not bought in enough? Do, do they not see they're committed enough? Do they not see that they're all in enough? That a stern warning isn't really gonna get the job done? We're talking about guys that are gonna be boiled in oil, thrown off a temple, bludgeoned with a hammer. We're talking about people gonna be hung upside down. Oh, a stern warning. See, if that moves you, you're too movable. 
If, if a stern warning works and shuts you up when it comes to being who you truly are in Christ, you're too movable, my friend. You're too movable. You, you've got to get a foundation. You've got to find some resiliency, some pers- perseverance. You've got to find that it ain't about you, it's about him. Yeah, a stern warning. No speaking, no teaching in the name. It's like they're talking to a fourth grader. Do you want to go in time out? These are people who had seen the resurrected Lord for 40 days, a stern warning. It's, it's, it's not a cease and desist on speaking and teaching. Do all that you want. You can go to London and Hyde Park and you can talk on any subject you want. United States of America, you have free speech. You can talk about any topic you want. They don't care if you're teaching. They don't care if you're preaching. The one thing they care about is that you don't use the name of Christ. There it is. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You know, it being Resurrection Sunday and all, it being Easter and all, came all the way over here. Some of you bought a nice hat. As long as you're here, hey, Ask yourself the question, am I all in or not? What, what am I doing here? Does God still have to perform at some level? Does he still have to do something at some level? Does he still have to reveal something to me at some level to where I'm all in? Am I somewhere between one and 10? How could you not be a 10? How could you not be an 11? How could these guys not be a 12 on a scale of one to 10? They were with him for three, three years. They saw things no one else saw. They heard things no one else heard. They saw him come up out of the grave and walk around with him for crying out loud. Are you all in? This is the thing. Why is it so difficult to get someone in the United States of America to go all in? You've seen the World Series of Poker. Are you all in? You've read the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Why are we still debating to what extent we're going to be who we're called to be when we go out in front of these people who don't want to hear the name? What does it have to do? How many sermons? How many? I looked, I got an email the other day. I've had something like, I don't know, thousands of sermons and thousands and thousands of people uh, through this one avenue. And I'm thinking to myself, that's exhausting. Does it still take more sermons to get people to buy in and be who God called them? What do you need? What more do you need if you're just kind of halfway? Does your business stand for Christ? Are you all in? You all in on this Christ thing? That's a question we should all be asking ourselves. If not today, what day would we say that, ask that question? When you're all in, he's full. He's near. He is rich, authentic. He's, well, there's nothing you can say about it because there's no way to explain it. You don't have to talk about it. All in.
This is the problem. We invite people to receive Christ and we give the impression. Nothing really required of you. I mean, good for you. Hope to see you again. But what about the relationship? What about the development? What, what, where are we at here? I want to get to the point there's nothing to say. There's nothing more to say. That's what I want. I'm confident. I'm having doubts about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm fully confident. I got to say to myself, is he first or third? Am I a Christian before I'm a husband or a brother or a son? Am I a Christian before I'm a minister? Before, am I a Christian before I'm an American? Do I trust in chariots and horses? Or do I trust in the name of the Lord our God? Am I a Christian before or after my political party? Which is it? Like, is there any confusion about this? If I miss something, please tell me if I've missed something. Is, is it not all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength first? I hope so. Any further threats, they let them go, and they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what, they, for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed, listen to this, was over 40 years old. Oh, oh. he was over 40 years old. What is that? Some of you have pants that are 40 years old. Some of you have seven irons that are 40 years old. They healed this guy. Boy, he was 40. I don't even know what to say. That's a miracle. Oh, Lord. Things were going great for me today until I read that. Hey. So our worship team comes up. I want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are you? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and first for the Greek. For those who believe, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to soft pedal it. I'm not going to water it down. It is what it is, and it doesn't return void. The gospel is the power of God and the number one thing that people need to hear so that their lives don't fall apart and they end up alienated from God for the rest of their life. Why would I water that down? Would you? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of being a born-again Christian. I'm not ashamed of my past. It's under the blood. I was a wicked dude. I don't have a problem with that. He that is in me is greater than he is in the world. Do you have that kind of confidence today? I hope so. Here's the thing, my friend. I'm gonna say this, and please don't leave until I finish. Being resurrected from the dead isn't that big a deal. The widow of Zarephath's son, he was resurrected from the dead. The man tossed in Elijah's tomb was resurrected from the dead. Nothing special about that guy. The Shunammite's son, the child of promise that worked the harvest fields with his father, that died in the presence of his mother, that lay in a borrowed room for three days, was risen from the dead and resurrected by the prophet Elijah. 
He was resurrected from the dead. He didn't have anything to do with it. Being resurrected from the dead, hey, Jairus' daughter was resurrected. He just, she was 12 years old. Lazarus of Bethany was resurrected from the dead. The widow at Nain, her son, was resurrected from the dead. Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, was resurrected from the dead. Eutychus was resurrected from the dead. Many were resurrected from the dead on the day of the crucifixion. What's special about these people? I don't know. There was a lot of them. I didn't know them all. It's one thing to lay one's life down for another. Firemen lay down their lives. Policemen lay down their lives. Military people lay down their lives. Organ donors put their life on the line. Heroes dive in off of bridges to save the drowning. People put their life on the line all the time for other people. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for another. John in 15. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but he's, a, he's among a host of very common people in a very common list. Don't be mistaken. It's not just that he was resurrected. He, he was hung on a cross, and he's the only one that bore the sins of the world. Your sin on himself, laid upon him, become one with him. That's what makes him different. He's the only one who never had a second funeral. These old people had a second funeral. He never did. He rose from the dead having conquered sin, hell, and the grave. This is what makes him unique. It's not that Jesus was resurrected. It's this, simply. I am the resurrection and the life. There's a difference. Jairus' daughter was not the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection. The only one that could save you was resurrected, but he is the resurrection. He is the resurrection power. The resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection power who brought that little 12-year-old girl up out of her bed. It's the same power in the same name, synonymous, that's here today. That's the difference. He is the resurrection in the life. And he has many names, many aspects, many phenomenal things about him. In fact, if you just think about it, he's the alpha, he's the beginning of all things. He's the ancient of days, he's the anointed one, and he's our all in all. He's the bread of life, the bright and morning star, and bruised for our iniquities. He is the chief cornerstone, the capstone the builders rejected. He's the Christ, the son of the living God, and he's the commander of the Lord's army. There's no shortage of adjectives or names that come even close to describing that he's the deliverer, your deliverer. He's the destroyer of the works of the devil and the day star on high. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's an everlasting father, and his enemies are a footstool for his feet. That's power. He's a friend of publicans and sinners, thank you. He's the fulfillment of the law and he's faithful and true. He's grace manifested, greatness personified, and grief eternalized. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He holds all things together, he's high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he's a healer of every disease and sickness among the people. He is the I am that I am the self-existent, self-sufficient 
God who needs no one to define him but he himself. He's the image of the invisible God and he's Emmanuel, God with us forever. Joy exemplified, justification materialized. He's Jesus, the name above all names and what a beautiful name it is. He's your kinsman, redeemer, the keeper of your soul and he's kingdom minded forever. The Lord of every Lord and Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world, and He's the glory. And yes, my friend, if you're downcast today, He's the lifter of your head. Thank you. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the man in the desert, and mankind's master teacher, the new and living way, never to be equaled, never to be rivaled. He's the Omega, He's the end of all things. He's the only begotten of the Father and the one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus our Lord. He's quick to empathize with your deepest pain, quickens us in our spiritual slumber and he judges the quick and the dead. He's a potentate of potentates, the Prince of Peace and the Passover Lamb. There's not enough words in the language that we speak to lavish adoration upon him for who he truly is. He's our redemption and our righteousness. He's the rock with flowing water and he's our reason to live. You need a reason to live. You need a reason to get up in the morning. I'll say it this way. Christ Jesus rose from the dead, died on your behalf, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, to take from you the very things that alienate you from the reality in which you are living. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He's the second Adam in your Sabbath rest. He's triumphant in battle, truth in an age of deception. Oh, if we got an age of deception, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. He's to be loved and adored and approached and he's to be revered and feared at the same time. He is upright and the upholder of all things. He's upward in his thinking. He's a victory over death, hell, and the grave. He's victory over footholds, strongholds, and fear itself, not to mention shame. He's a victor at Armageddon and soon will be. He's a word made flesh, wonderful counselor. He's a way where there seems to be no way. And he is your exceedingly great reward. His yes and amen is faithful and true. And he's the zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts working through us. We will do greater works than Christ. I say to you today, you came to church. But I want you to be the church. I want you to be the church. I echo the words of the angelic host, holy, holy, holy. Even in this moment, they're saying it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who reigns in all the earth. Let me ask you yet again, and let me see your response. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Don't you be ashamed of him. Don't you hide him. Don't you put him under a bushel. You be who he called you to be. You don't have a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. You have a mission. You might be an ordinary, unschooled man or woman, but you have a mission. And that mission is married up with the anointing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you can bear fruit and fruit that will last. You are the priesthood of all believers. 
You're a blood-bought person who happens to be up here on holiday or you live here, but you have a God-given sphere of influence. Take the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and make it last in people's lives. Change, bend, form, reform, transform this world. Stop complaining about it, minister to it. Tell the truth. Discern the spirits that are working this world. Call a lie a lie. Be honest about it. Do what you need to do to glorify your Lord. And do it quickly. Time is coming, night is coming when no man can work. You either believe or you don't. You either believe or you don't. Think about that. I'll give you a couple minutes. 